Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Talking. I'm Cheryl. And I'm Sherry. And we're here today with our very first guest and we're so excited. We have uh, Jody Haverstock who has her doctorate in audiology and she runs her own clinic here in Prince Albert called Carlton Trail. Carlton Trail Audiology, is that? Carlton Trail Hearing Clinic. Car- Carlton Trail Hearing Clinic. And it's wonderful, and I've had the opportunity to work with Jody over the years. And so we're so excited that she can be our first guest. Welcome, Jody. Yay, it's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> it is for us, for sure. So, Jody, I'm wondering what got you interested in audiology in the first place. I understand that one of the reasons might have been because you had a family member who suffered a hearing loss as an adult. Um, I saw her struggle where we would go and visit with her and she wasn't able to communicate and I just saw her become more and more isolated. And then when I was um, in high school, she got a cochlear implant and all of a sudden she went from being really isolated and not really, you know, contributing to the conversation to being part of the conversation, traveling, um, becoming really active again. And it, it just changed her. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. So I decided that I wanted to go into audiology. And um, I went and had my, I, I thought, debated a little bit about becoming a speech language pathologist, but oh, then I got, bad. I know, I got, <laughs> I got down and I started doing, and I just, I just fell in love with audiology. And then I started out doing with, working with cochlear implants and I loved it, but I kind of felt that that wasn't my passion. And so then I ended up kind of moving towards private practice. Oh, but it's awesome. A, yeah. <laughs> and um, when Cheryl and I were thinking of who to have for a guest, and again, it came up right away because we both have had <laughs> opportunities to, to uh, interact with you and, and work with you. And so uh, hearing is such a, a sister profession. And, and yeah. you know, when we talk about communication skills, we know that hearing is just a foundational skill. Without hearing, there's drastic um, consequences for communicating. So uh, we wanted to, you to um, give us some insights into um, what was happening in audiology. Both Cheryl and I worked in the school system, but uh, we're out long enough and there's been a lot of changes um, in the services within the province. And we were kind of uh, flabbergasted that after this length of time that we honestly didn't know anymore what was happening with um, hearing services and and uh, so we thought you would be the best person to <laughs> enlighten us. <laughs> okay, well I'll I'll do my best. Um, so after the closure of the hearing aid plan across the province, um, and that was in two thousand seventeen. Seventeen. I think some of them closed a little bit sooner than that, but two thousand seventeen was the final. Um, so and for those of of listeners. It was a public system and, and funded publicly Yes, um, up until 2017 when the government made a drastic unbeknownst change to us all. Yes, um, I actually worked for the hearing aid plan in Saskatoon for years and so they closed the program and um, so now if you want services for your child, if you want to have your child's hearing tested, um, you can um, still go to either Saskatoon or Regina for services, for some services. 
However, my understanding, and I checked today, is that the wait list is for some services um, through the health authority is close to a year for a wait list. So if you're not able to go to the health authority, then you can go to a private practice audiology clinic um, that sees children. Now, not every clinic, private practice clinic, will go and see children. Some just deal with adults. Some deal with children four and up. Some deal with children seven and up. So, you know, you definitely, when you, if you want to have your child tested, you definitely want to ask a few questions when you call. Um, there are some clinics like myself and several other ones in the province that will actually see newborns and up too. So you just have to ask. But there is a, there is a fee for the service. So it is not, um, is not covered um, to have your child's hearing tested if you go to a private clinic. Which can put up a lot of barriers. Massive, for, massive for, barrier We'll for talk people. about that too. And then once they get their hearing tested, um, is there a cost if they need a hearing aid or, or how does that work? Yeah, so unless the child is covered um, through um, non-insured health benefits or covered through a treaty number, um, or if they're covered through supplemental health, they're covered for the cost of their hearing aids. Otherwise, there is a cost, which again, is a massive barrier for, for parents because hearing aids are expensive. And um, hearing aids also last about an average of five years. So that's a big commitment for a family to have to cover the cost of those hearing aids. Other provinces um, have coverage um, uh, for Alberta, Manitoba, um, that I know for sure um, BC up to a certain age also has coverage so it's really disappointing that Saskatchewan doesn't have coverage for children for hearing aids. And my uh, thoughts on that is I don't think again the leadership in Saskatchewan necessarily knows how much of a barrier this is to um, children who are uh, really uh, having academic communication and, and uh, social struggles because of mm -hmm. hearing loss and the impact of it. Yes, and you know, we know that if we identify a child and fit them with appropriate um, technology, so with a hearing aid, cochlear implant, bone anchor device, before the age of six months, we know that that child can reach the same developmental milestones as a child that doesn't have hearing loss. So if we don't catch these kids and we don't get them appropriately amplified, then what, or services in place and just the identification, then we're gonna see that trickle down into all kinds of things. They're academic, speech, language, social development, you know, it, it, all, it all carries from that. So it's really important that we get these kids identified and fit. It's really sad when we have a family um, that a child is, identified as having a hearing loss, but they can't afford the cost of hearing aids. Now, there are some excellent organizations like the Elks and Telemiracle that have stepped up to try to help, but you know, sometimes working families don't always qualify for that funding, and um, therefore it becomes a huge burden on them to try to come up with the costs. My first round when I Googled and tried to get onto the internet and get onto the Saskatchewan um, uh, uh, network or whatever to see if through education or health or whatever what hearing services there were it, it wasn't an easy find is there a, a go-to spot where parents could uh, find out uh, where to 
get an assessment for their child? Yeah. Or? So um, the, the CSASC organization has a private pr practice membership, and they will um, they have it separated into speech language pathologists and audiologists. And um, audiologists will have listed in there if they see children and the ages that they do see. And um, that would probably be your best resource to, um, to start off with. And then I would call that clinic and say, you know, what is the cost of the hearing test? Because um, there will be a cost associated with it. And, um, and I would ask them, you know, what um, age of children that they do see too. Because not every, like I said, not every clinic will see, uh, say, a, a, a one-year-old. And would you be able to give advice on who a funder might be if they can't afford? Like who, is there a spot that they could go to to find a funder? Or who helps them find a funder? Well, the Elks, um, the Elks are an excellent resource. Um, they have really kind of taken um, children with hearing loss under their wing. Uh, and I also think Telemiracle is also another one. And if that doesn't help, they should talk to the clinic and see if there's other, so there's sometimes some of the manufacturers have some funding for those that qualify. Um, so I would, I would maybe even talk to the audiologist that they're seeing to see if they know of any other. Do you have any sense of the numbers of children in Saskatchewan who might be having um, hearing problems? Well, we know um, anywhere between one to three children are born with hearing loss out of a thousand births. And then we know that 15% of children, school-age children, have some type of hearing loss. Now that might be a temporary hearing loss or that might be a permanent hearing loss. But we know that 15% um, of children, school-age children, have a hearing loss. Wow, that is very high. That's one of our highest stats for, for um, any of the disorders that we've spoken of previously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So you had mentioned um, the importance of getting to kids early. So I know previously when I worked with you, we didn't have a provincial um, newborn hearing screening, but I think we do, thanks to you and probably some other audiologists who made the efforts to, to get that started. So w is that available all over the place, or how, how do parents make sure that their child's hearing is screened as a newborn? So if a child is born in um, any of the major hospitals in Saskatchewan, um, they will have a newborn hearing screening unless something happens and they're discharged before the screening could happen. And that does happen. So follow-up becomes really important too. So the parents should be given a form that says, you know, your child wasn't able to have their hearing screening and here um, then their choice then is to go to either Saskatoon or to Regina to complete that um, hearing screening. And if that- And that's free to them? And that's free to them if they go through the health region or the health authority. Um, however, if that's a barrier to them to get to Saskatoon or to get to Regina, they can go to a uh, private practice clinic that does see new, newborns. So we see children, we see newborns here, but you know, there's a cost now that's involved that they have to, they have to pay that which is unfortunate. Which is, again, another barrier for it's them. It is a barrier for people, too. And when we're talking about newborn screening, it doesn't mean that that screening's done and then they'll never, for sure, they'll never have a hearing problem, right? Yes. I mean, that, that is one type of hearing loss. 
is it? We will often see other types of hearing loss that will develop afterwards. Now, our hope with the universal newborn hearing screening is that we catch those kids so that we can get them amplified or we can get them the services they need right away. But there's lots of hearing loss that develops after birth. So, you know, if you've got concerns about speech and language development or you're seeing some delays, it's really important that you have your child's hearing tested um, to see if there's something else going on. When we're talking about hearing screening, and what would your opinion be about what best practice would be? I know the American Speech and Hearing Association has some guidelines, but I'm sure you've discussed with your colleagues. What would you like to see in Saskatchewan for hearing screening? In terms of ages? Yes, or, or yeah. what, what that universal... Um, screening would be the newborn screening the newborn. would be the start and, and then, then I would think I would also like to see somewhere between the two and three year unless there's a, um, a a risk factor you know if there's a risk factor we want to see that child on a fairly regular basis say every six months if say um, maybe that they, they tested positive for CMV what, then what would CMV mean the cytomegalovirus Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, that I'm not sure our listeners would know yeah. that would necessarily. Um, I didn't know we're, it. We're so, we're so used to using our yes, speak, our our, our uh, jargon. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So you know, if it you know if a child is has a screen positive for that, then we would want to make sure their hearing is tested on a a, reg, a more regular basis every six months is usually how we'll follow them, or if they have any other um, concerns, maybe family history of hearing loss, or if they have any other um, genetic factors, genetic factors like going on or some other risk factors that makes it maybe there's some vision issues sometimes too those go hand in hand with hearing so we'd want to have their hearing checked more frequently and then after two or three again when they get into schools if we had we had sort of discussed a speech pass when we were yeah um, that it would be annually up to grade three and then after that it was every two years that would be fantastic if it was happening, but we know that it's not. Um, there are some, you know, speech language pathologists that have taken that on, in addition to their roles in schools, but um, that's not always possible. And gone are the days, you know, when I went to school, we had our hearing tested, we had our eyes tested, you know, we had dental work done on a fairly regular basis. But that's a lot of that is gone, and so. Um, it would be fantastic if the school hearing screenings were back and done for every every school. Now I know a lot of speech language pathologists have taken on the role of, okay, if I have a child that's now on my caseload, I'm gonna do a hearing screening, but we're gonna miss a lot of other kids that um, maybe aren't, that are, that aren't on a caseload, which is too bad. Like I know here in Prince Albert, we have the speech language pathologists here have identified I, I did my facts before you guys came eight children that we've identified in 13 years um, that have a, a some type of permanent hearing loss which you know those kids would not have been caught and I um, without having that school hearing screening so you know that's fantastic that the speech language pathologists here have taken that on but that's not getting done in every school and it would seem to me that that stat is definitely low it was great to identify them but only eight in 13 years is that what you said well, we're talking about permanent hearing loss now yep. the other thing that they've also identified of those children that have um, uh, middle ear infections now there okay. are a lot of children that get identified with middle ear issues and 
you know, we have this idea that when somebody has an ear infection, which is a middle ear issue, um, that they're going to pull at their ears, that they're going to scream, they're going to have, you know, all the other symptoms that go along with pain and any other type of infection. But there is a lot of children that are asymptomatic, that you don't have that pulling at their ears. And, you know, those are the kids that often get missed. And then what happens is that fluid builds up and it builds up and you get something that's called glue ear where then sound can't get past that. And then they end up with a whopper of a hearing loss that affects their speech, that affects their language. Because you can imagine if a child is still trying to learn speech and language and one day they hear it nice and clear like this and then the next day it's like this that's really hard for them to be able to develop in speech and language if they're not getting a consistent signal. And that's what happens. Talk about that gray mapping yeah, of speech sounds yeah, in the brain. Yeah, most definitely. So those are the kids that it's just, we need to identify those children also so that they can um, get the proper treatment for the middle ear issues. And part of that process when children have ear infection, it can also burst their eardrums and cause a perforation there that mm -hmm. then either scars or, or stays so that the, the little uh, eardrum doesn't vibrate properly and, and that sort of thing too. And we can also have um, un repeated ear infections we also runs the risk of causing permanent hearing loss too. So we have to identify that. And we know that 75% um, of children will experience at least one episode of um, otitis media, which is the medical term for an ear infection, by their third birthday. So, um, and like I said, lots of these kids, they're not pulling at their ears that, you know, um, they don't have a red, you know, outside of their ear. So a lot of these kids, this, the ear infection is going unidentified. It was years ago. And again, this could be something that, that some of our listeners, or we could look into it a little bit further, but, um, the, the guidelines we were given by one of the ENTs in Saskatoon when we were setting up our hearing screening program was if a child had experienced chronic or otitis media twice in a year, they were someone that the ENT would like to have referred to them. Uh, so I don't know what, what, have you got other standards or I, thoughts? I'm not sure. I, I don't, I don't want to speak for an ear, nose and throat specialist, but um, I know we're, we treat ear infections a lot differently than we used to. We know that we used to treat them with antibiotics, and then if it, we continued to see, not, we didn't see improvement with the antibiotics, then they would be referred on to the ear, nose, and throat. But we're no, we know that ear infections can be caused, um, they can be viral, um, or they can be bacterial, and not all of those will um, be successful and be treating them with antibiotics. So gone are the days where that's the first line of care is to treat them with antibiotics. What I think is really important is even if they're not getting treated by antibiotics, because that might not be successful, is that we identify them. So then when you do, you can then ask to be sent on to see the ear, nose and throat. And then you have that documentation that says, listen, he, you know, my child had, you know, three ear infections in the last six months. Um, and so that you have that documentation for that, for when you do see the ear, nose, and throat. Um, one of the, the um, things that has changed over the years, as I say, Cheryl and I have our, our gray hair to, to, <laughs> to support this, but um, it was audiometry uh, that was used, like portable um, audiometry mm -hmm. that was used initially for screening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had our, our screening frequencies and we would, but it was 
subsequent to that, we've got other technologies that are really so objective and children don't have to put their hand up to signal or I think I heard it or I'm yeah. not sure. <laughs> so now we have both OAEs and tympanometry. Maybe you want to speak to that? Yeah, if- we can actually test a child's uh, newborn's hearing after 13 hours. So how fantastic to leave that hospital and, and know that at the time of birth, that child has, you know, hearing within normal limits. Now, you know, if you have a, a eight-month-old child or you have a child that's one and a half and you've got concerns, you know, we can still test their hearing. We can um, do something called otoacoustic emissions. And what that is, we put a little probe in their ear and they hear some clicking noises and it sends a sound all the way into the inner ear and then it measures how well it comes back. So the child just sits there for that test and then we can say that their um, cochlea or their inner ear um, is you know, functioning, functioning within normal limits. Now, if we can't do that, we can also do something called, or I should say, in addition to that, we can also do something called tympanometry. And tympanometry is when we look at the middle ear, and that's telling us um, if there's a hole in the eardrum or if there's fluid. And, um, you know, I have a lot of families that bring their child in for um, a hearing test and I'll ask them, do you have it? Does your child have a history of ear infections? And they'll say, no, you know, we've been lucky. We haven't had any ear infections. And the first thing that we do is tympanometry that shows that there's actually fluid there, you know, and then there's a lot of, oh, no, it, there can't be. And, you know, that's the thing. We don't always know that a child has fluid. And uh, my son's a, a great example. I had a, um, I have a son that had nothing but one ear infection after the other, ended up having several sets of tubes, never pulled out his ear, never um, had uh, pink cheeks. exactly had, had any of that, <laughs> didn't have a lot of sore throats, didn't have any of those other things that we kind of have this idea of that's what happens when you have, didn't have a cough, doesn't have a stuffy nose. And he was that asymptomatic asymptomatic child that always had these ear infections and um, I was just constantly testing him and I was always shocked when I found out there was fluid so tympanometry is a fantastic tool we can also do some testing where we have some speakers and we have some puppets so as the child gets older two or three we can put them in the sound booth and we can pair the sound to the puppet and then we we watch the child's behavioral um, response to sound so that's a good tool and there's also a um, a test that's we attach electrodes and we can measure um, the child's brain activity when they hear sound so we can do a lot of things and it's not your you know raise your hand when you hear the beep sound although that's part of it still as they get older but we don't have to have that in order to be able to decide if there's hearing loss there or not well, I can listen to you talk about middle ear infections all day. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, when you and I worked together, Jody, you were just critical in helping to get um, systems set up in classrooms for kids who were having difficulty hearing. And so they might be an individual FM system or some classroom-wide system. And I'm just wondering, to me, I didn't know how to do that. That was not my area of expertise. Is that something that you feel like audiologists should be doing? Is that a role that they should have in schools? Because it sure was a help to me and I know it was a help to the kids that you saw. 
Um, classroom acoustics are so critical for a child's learning and not even just the child also for teachers for their um, vocal health too is classroom acoustics so um, yeah audiologists can definitely work um, side by side with uh, SLPs and the school divisions to help give some recommendations for classrooms but um, if you want my tangent to go on and on I'll talk you know it's to talk to you about sound field systems and why they're critical and why I wish um, if you took one thing away from this podcast it would be that if you were a teacher to please use your sound field system because that is something I'm very passionate about um, and it's for this example you just said all these little people that are sitting there that nobody is aware yeah. that they have fluid in their mm -hmm. ears or they're they're struggling to to hear most definitely and not even you know children that um, have you know permanent or temporary hearing loss um, it also helps with those children that have learning disabilities or have attention issues too sound field systems are fantastic um, and you know nowadays with today's classroom you know it's fast-paced instruction there's a use of multimedia and we're using group activities and so it can be really challenging for children to be able to try to hear and they have to put in so much effort in order to be able to process the speech and to separate that from the noise in the classroom. Um, to give you an example, the average classroom um, has um, background noise levels around 50 decibels. And I'm uh, average speech is at about 50 decibels. So that's a, an, an unoccupied classroom. I think I might have said that wrong. An unoccupied classroom already has a noise level of 50 decibels. Wow. So now as a teacher, if I want to be heard, I have to raise my voice at least 15 decibels above that in order to be able to be heard. And that's probably just in the first couple of rows. And 50 decibels, what, what would that be equal to, like, so that listeners could understand from... Well, 50 decibels, average speech is about 45 or 50, you know, so we're just talking about average speech, you know, in a regular conversation and quiet. That's what an unoccupied classroom is because of HVAC system, fans, um, the fan noise from um, the smart boards, and just all the other surrounding noise that happens, you know, in a classroom. Echoing. Exactly. So then we're going to put, if we're going to put kids in the classroom, then the noise level goes all the way up till around 60 decibels for your average classroom. So um, last summer, I um, went and did um, an assessment for a class here in Prince Albert, and we measured that class, the noise level in that class. There was no instruction going on. It was a young, it was a kindergarten class. They had 75% of the students there that day, so not a full class. And it was, um, we were getting measurements about 78 decibels. Now, you're supposed to be wearing hearing protection if it's over 85. Oh my gosh. And this, there's not even instruction going on yet. Yeah. And this yeah. was just classroom activity. So if, you know, if you're a teacher and you're trying to compete with that, you know, that is very hard. And it's not just in our elementary schools, but it's also in our middle year schools and also in our high schools too. Um, that is incredible it is. information to have. That, that is enlightening for me. The benefits of a sound field system, so you've got the noise level that we've kind of talked about. We've also got reverberation because there's a lot of, you know, hard surfaces and gone are the days where we have carpets anymore in our classrooms. So there's lots of reverberation, so that's causing lots of echoing in the classroom and then there's distance. Um, you know, that 60 decibels, that's for uh, a child 
that's in the first couple of rows while the student that's in the back especially if the teacher is using the smart board or they've got their back towards um, the, um, the the rest of the class they're not they're not hearing that so it's even more difficult for them to be able to um, to project to be able to hear in the classroom with these systems do teachers need to do anything like is it is it technologically difficult for them or um, how would a teacher use the system um, a lot of the systems they just go around it's like a lapel mic or it's something that goes around their neck it's very easy to use um, and uh, very simple and it's set up so that there's multiple speakers in the classroom and the fantastic thing about that is that no matter where the teacher is in the classroom their voice is getting equally distributed across that classroom so it, it makes it much easier for them therefore they don't have to raise their voice um, and oftentimes I'll get some teachers that are they don't feel they need a sound field system or maybe they don't need to use the child's remote microphone because they have a loud voice they'll say oh you know I, I don't we don't need to use that in my class because I speak loud uh, the problem is is when you um, raise your voice to project your voice the sounds that come across are the vowel sounds and then the consonant sounds get distorted so when you raise your voice those high frequencies get distorted and those consonant sounds so then the student isn't getting, even though you're talking loud, the student isn't catching everything that's being said. Um, and so by wearing a sound field system, um, the teacher wearing a sound field system or using the, the student's remote microphone when they need it, that allows the student to be able to hear all of the sounds as they should be. They able to can hear the vowel sounds and the consonants equally loud, which is what they need. So I would just add in from the speech pass vantage point that some of those consonant sounds are just friction sounds. Mm -hmm. So they're like s, t, f. They're just little crispy blowing sounds, right? And so for a teacher to be able to project that to the back of the class when you're saying it says 60 decibels mm -hmm. or higher, you know, you can see that children who have any issues may be missing all those sounds when they're trying to uh, process. And the other thing I would add in here is there is a total link between auditory processing mm -hmm. and reading. Yeah. And I know, again, the, the school um, systems have been so um, f very focused on reading and that as a measure of you know, sort of school uh, success. But if we go, if we backtrack, again, that auditory component is foundational and we need to absolutely know and understand about that dynamic. Oh, for sure. It definitely goes hand in hand. Um, there, one of the more popular sound field systems out there did a study, and they showed that if the teacher wore their sound field system microphone for just one period of the day, um, that also improved the teacher's um, vocal quality, vocal fatigue, and the vocal strain that they had too. So we're not talking just about the benefits for children or for students in the classroom. We're talking about for um, the teachers themselves too, because you know, vocal—it's something that we don't talk a lot about. But vocal um, quality, vocal fry, um, dry throat, vocal fatigue—that's something that a lot of teachers deal with that they don't even realize because it's you know it's, it's something that happens. Yeah, it's hidden stress that they're Most carrying, definitely. and yeah, yeah. So when you were uh, we were talking about screening a little while ago, and you were talking about some of the kids who have. Uh, 
um, some middle ear difficulties or um, that you had actually found some kids with actual hearing problems where they would need to get a hearing aid. What about, um, we hear a lot about kids, well, it's just, it's just a small loss. Do you, I hear that sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's just a little loss. I'm not sure we need to do anything about it. We're, Put what, it at the front of the class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, okay, so what, what would you have to say about that? Um, so we know that probably there's one to three students in your class right now that have some type of mild or minimal hearing loss. Um, And we know that the problem with that type of hearing loss is, is that, again, you're getting those inconsistent speech and language. So one day they're hearing it one way, and other way they hear it differently. Um, And we know that a child with a minimal hearing loss reports that they have more stress, more self-esteem issues and energy issues or lack of energy than children that don't have a hearing loss. So those kids with that minimal hearing loss are having to put that much, they're having put that much more effort in order to be able to hear. And we, they talk a lot about auditory fatigue. And it's that we see that those kids, they come home, even children with a minimal or a mild hearing loss, and they are exhausted at the end of the day because they're having to work so hard. Okay, well, we were talking about trees today, but I didn't hear anything about trees. I heard something about free. Well, that can't be about trees. It must it must have been this. So they're having to do all those substitution and try to take that information and make it make sense. Well, they're having to put that much more effort in. And then what happens is they usually end up fatiguing. And so a lot of these kids, they'll... Um, it would be reported that, oh, they have, you know, attention issues or they're not paying attention and they have behavioral which turns issues. Which behavior, yeah. Yes, which yeah. go into behavioral issues. Um, so um, we know that children with minimal hearing loss will exhibit poor abilities than children without hearing loss in both reading, spelling, and in sciences. And we also know that children with mild hearing loss often do worse Um, than children with moderate hearing loss or even severe hearing loss because they they don't know what to do with that minimal hearing loss and they they haven't developed the coping strategies that a child with a severe hearing loss does. So a child that has a moderate or severe hearing loss they know I need to tell my teacher you know I need to look I need to be able to read your lips I need that face-to-face communication I need to move myself somewhere in the classroom they've developed those meta skills exactly story skills but children with minimal or mild hearing loss um, they haven't developed those And, and they're so exhausted at the end of the day so anything we can do to help make their lives easier you know, that's, you're going to see better attention, you're going to see less behavioral issues, and we're going to see, you know, um, their academics improve because they're not having to put all that extra effort in. So, so we're putting the compensatory um, strategies on ourselves to deal with the fact that there's, there needs to be a different signal, uh, noise to signal ratio so that the child can really hear in the classroom. For sure. More clearly. Um, they have dis- they have found out that children with a mild hearing loss can miss up to 15% of what's being said 
50%, like that, that's huge. You imagine if you were, you know, taking a new topic in, in class or you're, you're doing spelling or you're, you're learning about something and you're missing 50%. And Cheryl and I have used the analogy about that auditory processing part about, it's like you're sitting in a classroom and it's in German mm -hmm. and, you, and you don't know German <laughs> or mm -hmm. you know very little German. And so, yeah, how long can you sustain yourself to For keep sure. concentrating? And, For sure. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. So we've covered a lot of topics in a very short amount of time today. And um, we've talked about screening. We've talked about a newborn screening. We've talked about um, mild losses. We've talked about classroom FM systems and personal FM systems. And we've talked about the cost of hearing uh, assessments and screenings and and all these kinds of things if you could choose and I you probably can't but if you could choose one one issue that we could you know remedy in Saskatchewan in the next say three to five years could you pick one Ooh. oh that would be tough I guess if I if I had a magic wand and I could address issues in health I would be that um, hearing tests would be covered by the um, by Sask Health, so that it wouldn't be a barrier for families, so that anybody um, could have any child could have their hearing tested, um, and my and then and then be able to get hearing aids covered through Sask Health. That would be amazing, and I would be so happy. My other magic wand, if... Because if, the children really are not getting them. If they, if exactly. If they can't afford them, there's all these people and yeah. families and children struggling, right? With, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's like needing, needing insulin, but you can't afford it. Yeah. But your kid's diabetic, but what can you do about it? And the trickle-down health effects that happen because of that, that untreated, that untreated hearing loss. Yes, I think you had mentioned before that if audiologists in private practice who see children could bill for the service, then parents could take their children anywhere in the province to have an assessment. And then I guess um, if I had another magic wand and I could address issues in the schools, it would be to have the classroom acoustics and sound field. Um, a lot of these schools have sound field systems yes, and yes. they've paid a lot of money for these sound field systems. Yeah. And if we could just get, um, you know, teachers um, using them on a more regular basis, I think we would see a lot of um, decreased behavioral issues. And I think it would be so much easier for these kids that are trying to learn in these difficult listening environments. Um, so that would be, I'd have to have two, one for each, one for health, one for education. <laughs> what it reminds me of is our very first podcast that we ever had was on standards within the province. And if you don't have standards and you don't decide who is eligible, like we talked about, are children eligible for speech and language intervention? To what degree are they? Do they get five sessions and then they're done or do they get kindergarten and then they're done or are we going to try to give services what are they eligible for and it's the same thing with mm -hmm. hearing is really what I'm hearing is we need to make sure that there's equity yeah in every child no child left behind that that uh, saying saying yeah we need to make sure there's equity across the province for accessing 
hearing. Yes. And um, that only comes with, again, knowing your needs assessment. What are we looking at in terms of, of the numbers of children? And then uh, having policy, having a task force or whatever. Mm -hmm. Getting some action going about yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Well, we can't thank you enough, Jody, and I'm sure we'll have you back on because I think there were things that we didn't cover and some of the things we covered brought up more issues. And so I think we'll probably be having you back soon, sooner rather than later. And, um, and we just so appreciate uh, having you as our very first uh, guest and, and, and we thank you so much. So for Let's Talk Talking, I'm Cheryl. And I'm Sherry. Let's talk.